This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 518 of the Dressage Radio Show, official podcast of the United States Dressage Federation on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products and Total Saddle Fit. On today's show, Reese and Jill Stowe will finally get to tell us about their European equine adventure. We will also bring on regular guest Lauren Spicer, who has invented a new way for people to get involved with her top performance horse program. Then, breed judge Meg Williams will discuss stallion performance testing. This is Reese Koffler Stanfield from Georgetown, Kentucky. And this is Philip Parks from Rockwood, Ontario, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. Hi, Phil. Good evening, Reese. How are you? <laughs> I'm good today. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Now, are you guys uh, on a horse show break this week? No, there's a small show this weekend I'll, I'll be going to on Sunday. It's not a full weekend of showing like it usually is, so <laughs> right. maybe it's a little bit of a break. Yeah, yeah, you guys, well, you guys have such a shortened show season, you know, now this is really your go time of the year. You really don't stop right until the end of August. Well, we just pack it all in. You know, I know, it's like, it's you have like to when it's sunny. The 10 weeks of the Florida season, <laughs> only for us it's the 10 weeks of yeah. the summer season, and then yeah. snow will start sense. coming again and whatever starts happening. So it's good, it's good. The thing that's happening up here is actually all of the CDIs, the competitions for qualifying for the Pan Am Games are done. And we are expecting the announcement of our Pan Am's dressage team in a few days. Yeah, that's fantastic, Phil. I think our U.S. team, we're just working on the selections now. I, I haven't heard any word on that either. So that's fantastic. Well, it's coming soon. And we're looking forward to the, the Pan American Games in Lima, yep. Peru at the end of July. And some announcements on so we can get some riders on. That would be really fun. All right. Well, we have a very busy show on tonight. We do. We've been recording a lot lately, a little bit early, and you know, uh, we <laughs> that haven't. That never happens to us. <laughs> I know, but we never we we didn't just get to discuss. I think people have been waiting. We, we talked about talking about your whole trip to yep. uh, Holland and Germany, and there's a lot of stuff that you did, and we, yep. you know, we've been anticipating. <laughs> Well, I hope you enjoy um, this interview with my colleague, Jill Stowe, Dr. Jill Stowe. She is a, she's a PhD equine economist at the University of Kentucky and also an avid dressage writer. So I hope you enjoy our interview together. Well, I have been excited about this interview all day because I have my partner in crime, uh, Dr. Jill Stowe from the University of Kentucky. Uh, many of you know uh, that Jill and I actually took 14 students to Germany at the beginning of May, and she is definitely my partner in crime. Jill, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's great to be on. I know. Well, we started, we don't, I don't actually remember how I met you, but you are a dressage rider. And you're at the University of Kentucky. You're uh, specialized. Well, I should let you tell everybody what you do at the university and how we got this this party started. Yeah, sure. So I'm on the faculty in the agricultural economics department, and I was actually hired to do market research on the equine industry. So I was pretty pumped that someone was willing to pay me to do research on something that I had a passion about and I had the tools tools to do it. So that's been really exciting. Boy, I have been a dressage enthusiast for more years than I care to count now. And, um, you know, I remember early on thinking, man, it'd be great to go to Germany. I'd always wanted to and, and never been able to. 
and of course, at universities, they do these study abroad programs. And Reese, I think at some point, you and I had talked about doing something like this. Um, I was director of equine programs at the time and just didn't really have the time or the energy to put a course together because it's all on the faculty to do the logistics. But then I stepped down from that position, became a normal faculty member again, if you want to accuse me of being normal. Um, and then you and I had seen an article that somebody wrote in the Dressage Today magazine, I think about a month that they had spent over there. And I think that sort of renewed our interest. And we started talking about doing it again and got serious. And it happened. It happened. <laughs> we made it. We took 14 students to Europe and everybody got to the airplane. We don't know how it happened after that, but everybody, <laughs> no, for sure. So, so Jill, Phil had asked us to kind of talk about sort of our top five things we learned, because uh, we were actually there two weeks and uh, we could actually put our entire itinerary up on, on our show notes and, and talk to if somebody had a specific question, Jill and I can, would be happy to answer that. But uh, let's just start. I mean, we were able to go to a lot of manufacturing plants. So maybe we could start talking about those visits. Yeah. So we had the opportunity to visit the Hermspranger uh, bit factory. We went to the Passier saddle maker and we also visited the factory that makes the Ethel horse care products and the FX leather care products. And one of the things that, um, I know impressed you and me, Reese, and also in reading the journals that we forced the students to keep while <laughs> we were gone was, you know, no one really thinks about the entire process of making a bit or from or making a saddle or making a product from beginning to end. And the quality and the craftsmanship with which we saw these products being made was just second to none. And, you know, we all look at those products and we say, oh, they're a little more expensive. But when you see the process and you see the care that's put into them, you see the quality. Yeah, absolutely. Like, for example, I mean, we, we saw the bits being made from formation and how they do them. And, and you know, they, they have actually a very nice factory and they have to take care of their workers. And, you know, all this came into play at the Hairspringer bit plant and how they develop new bits, which is fascinating and how they come up with the sizes and, you know, things you just don't even think about when you see them hanging on the wall in the tax store or uh, with Ethel. Ethel is actually all human grade products uh, and they have to be made with, with that in mind, which I thought was really cool. And then a Passier saddle. It, it was unbelievable. I mean, we literally saw the tree being made all the way through. And I mean, I, Jill and I were just like kids in a candy shop, which was quite cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, one of the students remarked about, about Harem Springer said, I never thought about every single piece being made and polished and the care that went into making that one bit. Like it really made an impression on the students. That, that that sounds pretty awesome. I know you visited several other locations and a lot of horses. Uh, maybe you can give us something from the the horse shows that you visited that was was different. You you know Germany versus the U.S. or Europe versus North America. Sure. Um, so we got to go to a a show that I would say was sort of comparable to a a recognized show here in the United States. But the similarities ended right about there. So this was a combined dressage show and jumping show. So you had jumpers and dressage riders riding in very close proximity to each other. 
we got to see some of the classes and warm-ups for the younger dressage riders. And there were riders on tiny little ponies out there. The warm-up ring would have given me nightmares, but everyone there handled it very well. There were a ton of horses. It was pretty organized. They were all going in the same direction, but it looked a lot different from the warm-up rings that I'm used to seeing. There were uh, there was one really interesting competition over in the dressage show. Reese, perhaps you can help me remember the name of the competition, but it was at a Grand Prix level, and there were three riders, and each rider competed on their own horse, and then they competed in the exact same test on the other two horses. Yes, it was a derby, and it was it was a professional rider derby from that region. And so we were um, very close to Munster and very interesting. That's really the hub of pretty much most of the Olympic team with lives within a, an hour of Munster. So you were talking about top level professional riders that would bring their horses. Now, typically I don't think they bring their top, top horses, but they bring some nice ones. And one of the riders we never actually figured out who won, but he had won it five times in a row on the same horse. So he was stiff competition. And it was amazing, too. Uh, you know, one of the things that I took it was, number one, everybody hauled their horse in. So it was like you, your horse stood on the trailer. There was no stabling, really, unless you, you lived at that facility. And uh, it was really like a fun party atmosphere. There was really good food. There was a beer garden which was nice there was a vip i and this was not a fancy show and they were actually i think joe what were there four other shows within an hour that we could have gone to on that that weekend yeah and they had inflatables do you remember that they had a place for kids place for kids and a sandbox and it was just fascinating to see and there were probably 300 horses or more that were showing that weekend it was incredible. Yeah, it there was, were, and, yeah. and, you, and it was something that we remarked that we would have taken our family, our non-horsey families to, and they would have had fun for a while, you know, that there were yes. things for them to do, even though they didn't care to watch dressage or to watch the jumping competition. Yeah. And, and we let the students, you know, we, they were college students. So everybody, you know, we just gave them time said so be back at the bus at a certain time and everybody enjoyed shopping and, and some got food, some watched the jumpers, some watched the dressage. So that was really cool. Um, cause it was a bit of a challenge to figure out what we would do on, on a Sunday in Germany. Cause a lot of things are closed, but it was great. It was, I think it was one of my favorite. Sounds really, things. really fun. Yeah. yeah, that was great. And so Jill, can we talk a little bit about breeding? So we we actually were able to see quite a bit of breeding of top horses and also how sort of the state studs work. Yeah, absolutely. We visited uh, two different breed registries and the Hanoverian Verbond and the Oldenburg Verbond. And we also visited two state studs, uh, Varendorf, which is in Westphalia, and Sella, which is in Hanover. And then we also had the opportunity to visit a, a very high-quality Hanoverian breeding farm at Ingo and Susan Papa's place. Yeah, and that was amazing because they really have some of the top bloodlines in the world. And they were so generous. And we saw two stallions being worked, a four- and a five-year-old. We saw Jill's stallion crush, Don Noblesse. We were able, and he just won the Hamburg the Hamburg CDI, didn't he, Phil? I just want yeah. a big CDI. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's a beautiful, beautiful horse. He comes over from Germany to show in the Florida scene, and, and anyone yeah. who's seen him can appreciate the quality of the horse and and the quality of the training, of course, that uh, mm-hmm. that's provided by the, the yeah. Papas. 
Yeah, and it, yeah. it was awesome. We got to see some some unbelievable babies um, that they had. I mean, it, they were so generous. And I think that was in general, you know, everyone we saw or talked to were very generous and very happy to sort of show us, you know, and our students what they did and their horses. And, you know, we're all very proud of our horses as well. So, I mean, it was, it was very cool and slightly universal on how, you know, everyone was so excited that we were there to see and everyone was very generous. But Jill, talk a little bit about the state stud program, because that's different than in, in the U.S., Sure. Well, one of the things that's different in uh, Germany is that there's a lot of government support for the horse industry. And one of the many ways in which that is manifested is through the state studs in a number of states across the country. And so at these state studs, they have a number of different breeds of stallions. Historically, they had the state studs there so that farmers could bring their mares in somewhat conveniently and get them bred and then take the mares home. And of course, with AI, and, and more modern breeding techniques, that's not quite as much of an issue. But all these studs, they, they have stallion parades. They try to keep the bloodlines fresh. And in addition, they have a mission to preserve historic bloodlines. And so at both of the state studs that we visited, they had some historic draft breeds that probably would have uh, become extinct had it not been for the state stud uh, system. Yeah, which I thought was really cool. And they also kept right. some those, of the breedings. They were they were subsidized, weren't they? Some of the breedings. I believe they were. Yeah, I think they were too. And and how about the the Verbans? Because we were able to go to Verden, which they had a variant, and Vecta. What 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 did we learn there? Those were pretty cool. Verden was interesting because the property there is owned by the city, and so um, the Hanoverian group works with the city, um, and it's a multi-use facility. You know, the, these big horse facilities lose money if they don't stay busy. And so they have other things happening there, like soccer games. There, the day that we visited, um, there was a cattle auction, <laughs> which was not something that any of us expected to see when we showed up. But, you know, they one of the things that I, I really took away is that uh, Germans are very practical, right? And these places have to take care of themselves. They have to make money. And so a lot of times the best way to do that is to diversify their activities. At the Oldenburg Verband in Vecta, it was a much smaller facility there that was not owned. I don't remember if that was owned by the city, but there, to my knowledge, there were no other activities going on there. But they, you know, these places are constantly busy, sale horses coming in and out. They're making videos. They're doing inspections. They're having stallion shows and mare shows and foal shows. It's, it's really quite different from anything we have access to in the U.S. Yeah, and I think that's what's so amazing about, you know, a lot of the things that we were able to see. And and we were also able to see um, some really cool training, weren't we? We did. We had the opportunity, you know, we saw training in different ways. And so when, when we were in the Netherlands, we went to the KWPN, forgot to mention that one. Um, and they were actually in the process of doing the stallion testing. They were training the stallions. And so we got to see pairs of stallions come in. There was someone in the corner that was telling the riders what they wanted them to do with the horses. We were not privy to that information, but it, the students really enjoyed seeing that process. We had the opportunity to visit Michael Klimka at his facility, and he... I think he rode three different horses for us, some young horses and then um, some more experienced horses and showed us how he would develop something like the Passage and the Piaf. 
we were able to visit Ingrid Klimka's stable, and she was very kind to spend time with us. She had rushed in from taking her horses out to gallop on the hills and then dropped all these horses off and picked another one up and was off to a jumping show. <laughs> so yeah. it was it was great to see that. Of course, we saw the riding at the shows. What am I missing? I feel like I'm missing something. And we, we visited Fabian Schultz. We got to give Fabian a shout out, shout out because he was oh, amazing. Yep. We, we went to Fabian Schultz's farm um, and saw his facility. Uh, and then we were actually able to go also to the DOKR, which was the German. It's basically the German Federation. It's their USCF, but there's an actual training facility there. And it was unbelievable. It was that it's where all the team riders, if you were on a pony team to all the way to the Grand Prix level, you go there to train. The eventing course, I think that was my favorite, Joe. Like there was there was a there was a jump from let's say Land Rover or the Kentucky event here that they felt like they needed to train, they would just build it. Like boom, build it right in this whole field, which I just thought was fascinating. You know, they Ingrid needed some hills, so they built hills because <laughs> Munster's very flat. <laughs> they they yeah, just yeah, that yeah, wasn't yeah, there. Yeah. They, that's where Ingrid had yeah. been. They give they give their riders every opportunity to every. to succeed. Right, that's it's serious business there. So every opportunity, and we also went to Ludger beer bombs. We forgot to mention that for our show jumpers. Oh, oh, oh just right. Ludger yeah. beer bombs. Just you know. Ludger beer bombs yeah. on oh, a we Sunday. We forgot all about Ludger. It was one of my funniest moments because we had gone to Reasonback, which is his basically showgrounds, private showgrounds. And then we went to his personal facility and it was Sunday morning. It was really quiet there. And Ludger just walks right by our group. And I never heard them all so quiet. <laughs> like, nobody moved. It was, and we literally, you know, our, our tour, our tour guide was wonderful, but we literally got to just see Ludger riding around like it was just one of those Sundays that they happened to be home like pretty much all the top show jumpers that were there were were they were there they weren't at a competition actually for whatever reason and it was it was cool and we literally you know you could just like name the show jumping horses like it's not Jill and I's focus but um most of our students were show jumpers so they were dying like it was (laughs) awesome and in Luger's place same thing they they built yeah. hills. I mean, it, it just, yeah. I think, I mean, I, I don't know about you, Jill, but I, that was the thing. I, you, you see when you're over there, um, number one, uh, all the way from the breeding to the riding, there is some support from the government. It's also significantly cheaper to keep a horse in training, have lessons. Um, I think the horse show, they were complaining about the cost, which was 70 euros total. I mean, that's like basically to enter two classes. Like you can't do that for 70 euros. That was for everything. Um, so I think you see it's a lot more part of their culture versus our culture. And especially in the area where we were. I, I'm, I'm sure other parts of Germany are not the same. But where we were and where we took the students, it's a huge part of their culture. And, and it is far more accessible for everyone. And the horses are more accessible. And um, I think one of my main takeaways was the main market, which is also similar in the United States, is for adult amateur ladies, which I thought was fascinating. They are also really breeding. Of course, they bring the top horses, but they are really trying to breed horses for sort of the everyday person, 
which I thought was fascinating. Those are those were my takeaways. Jill, what were what were some of your takeaways from the total trip? I would say two of mine were and, and this was something that I sort of had experience with just because we had been able to do a site visit the year before. But everything was was nice. It was very workmanlike and very practical. There was nothing that was really showy or pretentious. You know, that everything was very nice, very safe, but it was just about we need a place where we can get the job done. And so that was one thing that stuck out. Another one was that that, you know, without without apology, everyone that we talked to knew that making money was important, that these facilities had to be profitable. And they were willing to think outside the box in order to make these businesses work. Um, Because, you know, we all know that in the long run, if these businesses aren't going to be profitable, they're not going to last. And so, um, you know, I think sometimes people feel like they need to apologize for wanting to make money, but there, there was not an apology. It was, you know, this is what we have to do to make this business work. And so that made an impression on me as well. I guess a, a bonus one, if I, if I could add it, was just that um, I was blown away, and you you mentioned this a little bit earlier, by the generosity of the people that helped us. You know, some of them we had connections with before, some of them we didn't, and they just knocked it out of the park for us. And for me, the people is what made the experience, the people that met with the students, the people that made connections for us. We couldn't have done it without them. Yeah. It was really, it was a really cool experience. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. And I know that sometimes uh, the Europeans can can come across a bit cold and don't know the word I'm I'm thinking of, but you know, once you visit them at home and, and they want to show, show off their training or their horses or their breeding or their, you know, whatever it is. I mean, it's just their open arms. Absolutely. I've had the same experience. Yeah, it was really cool. So we keep the students are already asking, are we are we doing it again? And Jill and I are like, <laughs> let us get home. But it's you, yeah, you, you got away with it once, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was great. But it was a great fun, and and we really had a great time. So we're really glad. Uh, thanks for having us on, Phil, and and, and letting yeah, us thanks, talk about thanks our for talking all about it. Yeah, we're really uh, happy to hear about your experience. Absolutely, and Jill, thanks so much for being my partner in crime, and I do look forward to doing it again. <laughs> yes, me too, fun mom. I know. I was I was the fun mom and Jill was the tall mom. So that's so okay. Okay. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't want to be short mom and Jill didn't want to be unfun mom. So those were our right. those were our call, call signs. I was fun mom and Jill was tall mom. So it was great fun. Yeah. So uh, we hope you guys enjoyed hearing about our trip. And if you have any questions, Jill and I, you can send it, you send send them to me, reset horseradionetwork.com and and I'll forward them on to Jill and uh, we'll be happy to answer your questions. Well, I am. hope everybody enjoyed my interview with Dr. Stowe. We had a fantastic time. And right after this commercial break from Kentucky Performance Products, we're going to come back with one of our regular guests, Lauren Spreiser, and she's going to talk about one of her new ways that she gets horses. The sun is just peeking above the tree line as you walk into the barn. You grab your horse's halter off the hook and head out to the field. The dew shimmers in the sun as you walk across the damp grass. You call his name and his head comes up as he walks toward you looking for the apple in your pocket. You take your time grooming, enjoying the peace and quiet in the empty barn. A refreshing breeze greets you as you start down the tree-lined path. 
Your horse ambles along on a loose rein as you both enjoy a relaxing ride. The feeling you get on an early morning hack is why we do what we do at Kentucky Performance Products. This feeling is brought to you by Microphase. Fill the nutritional gaps in your horse's diet. Microphase Vitamin and Mineral Supplement is a low-calorie way to provide your horse with the vitamins and minerals missing from their diet. The horse that matters to you matters to us. Tonight, we are so happy to have one of our favorite guests back, Lauren Spreiser. She is a FEI trainer, rider, and owner of Spreiser Sport Horses. Lauren, welcome back to the show. Thanks, guys. Always happy to be with you. Well, we absolutely love when you come on the show, and but we are talking about something that I am like in awe of you because you're so smart and creative, and I think you're working on one of the, the hardest issues we all have as riders, and, and that is how do we get creative and get some new horses and new blood in there. So can you tell us, again, I'm in awe, I'm slightly bowing to you. How how did you get your newest horse? This is a great story. So it, to, to give a little backstory, I had a horse that wasn't going to work out for me. And I have a very great friend and sometimes a student who's an excellent Grand Prix rider in his own right, but he is also a young horse starter. And he got along with this horse like a house on fire. And I said, let's make a little deal. If I find a baby horse, if I find a foal, then you can raise it. And eventually when it's old enough, start it under saddle. And I will give you this horse that's a little bit complicated. And that was the deal we struck. And so I had to go out and find foal. (laughs) And I thought, you know, the journey from foal to whatever end is an interesting one. It's certainly, I've, I've never been on that journey where it's been straightforward. And it's also a story that not a lot of people out there in the world will get to experience. But if it's one thing I can do, it's tell a story. I've been blogging for the Chronicle of the Horse for 10 years. I do a lot of writing for a couple of different magazines. And I thought maybe this is an opportunity to combine my ability to tell this story with might want to pay for the opportunity to hear the story. So the idea of the Red, White, and Blue Ribbon Club was born. (laughs) So for an annual membership, there are three different levels of membership at different price points. But for your annual membership, you will get access to a monthly newsletter that tells the story of this foal on her way to whatever end she finds herself at. And then at, at two other price points, you can also get cool quarterly swag from me and from my sponsors and then even an invitation to a cocktail party at my farm in the fall where members will get to meet her at the full and meet my other upper level horses. And we'll talk about horse training and have some fun. I love it. I love it. It's such a great idea because again, this is a really big thing that a lot of us struggle with. So I love this. You've also done some other things, right? You've had syndicates and you've had some other ways of funding horses. How how have you done that? I do have a horse who is owned by a syndicate. His name is Guernsey Elvis, and he just did his first developing pre-St. George qualifier Ooh. over the weekend, which he won on a 72. Yes. Ooh. Not like brag about it or anything, but he's Yes, we'll take deal. it, girl. <laughs> the reality is, and I know that I don't have to tell either of you this, it's stupid expensive to support one horse, let alone one international horse. 
And the reality is that we all need a really deep bench. Horses get hurt. Horses colic. Horses die. Horses end up being really super amateur horses that aren't going to go to the big level. And you have to have a pipeline. We all hope that we make more than we miss. We all hope that if it, you know, the horse that we bring up as trainers from young to upper levels, if it's not going to be a top shelf horse for us, then at least it has value to somebody else and it can go fund the next group. But that doesn't always work. And we all just need to get really creative in how we find opportunities to keep a deep bench of horses to keep a really thick show string development string. Um, cause you just don't know which ones are going to work out. They're certainly not all going to work out. And it would be great if everybody had, you know, 10 million independently wealthy patrons owning their horses, but here on planet earth where I live, there's not that many people like that. <laughs> no. So I thought this was, this was an opportunity to, to make a little community, one that can help me, which I appreciate and that I can help by, showing them what it looks like to do what I do and bring them along for that journey and also show them that the journey is not straightforward and that it is going to have some up and downs. I've found that in my blogging for the Chronicle of the Horse, the biggest piece of feedback I get is, my God, it is so great to hear that other people struggle. It is so great to hear that top riders have crappy things happen to them. Um, Because I think that in this social media era, it's really easy to look at your favorite international rider's Instagram feed and think that it must be just rainbows and sunshine every day. And it's not. No. Well, Phil, we are having lots of technical issues tonight when we lost Miss Lauren. But we wanted to close out the interview by telling you a little bit about her, her weanling. She is by Vitalis out of a Sir Sinclair mare. And Lauren would love, if you're interested in being part of her fan club or hearing more about her creative ideas that she's done to fund her horses, you can go to her Facebook page, which is Lauren Spreiser, L-A-U-R-E-N-S-P-R-I-E-S-E-R, for more information. And we hope we can help join her fan club. So I hope that that I is think, a good yeah, thing. Yeah, I just wanted to say what a, what a neat idea it is. And, you know, right. I've had many people say, you know, Phil, I would really, really like to sponsor a horse or or be involved. But, you know, money is an issue for everyone. That's, that's a reality. Sure. But uh, this is a great way to give just a small amount of money, but a lot of people to do it and to join a fan club so that people can enjoy the idea or, or being a contributor to a horse sponsorship and help out a rider and have a horse, you know, in, in her program. And I think that's really fun. And, and that's why we wanted to talk to Lauren today. But the Internet gods are not, are not in our favor. They're not in our favor. So, <laughs> uh, but again, you can find our Facebook at Lauren Spreiser. Lauren Spreiser at Facebook. And we hope that helps. Well, we have a great total saddle fit tip of the week. But right now we're going to come back with our stability stirrup leathers. Phil, tell us a little bit about how much we love these stirrups. Well, I think they might have saved my life last week. Really? Saved your life last week? <laughs> uh, I, I, I like to think so anyways. But uh, so currently I'm working on a couple of horses and we're doing some flying changes. And, you know, sometimes when you're teaching flying changes, the horses can become yes. a, little a little bit wild. flying in the air. A little flying think, in the air. Part, part of it is that you have to really encourage that moment of jump, right? So it in, involves a little bit of uh, you know, little taps with the whip if they don't, if they aren't getting a clue that they have to sort of jump to the other lead. Yes. So I was, you know, busy helping a horse through this issue. And then I got like this, this mega jump through the air. 
It mega jumps. Flying, and I was like, but thankfully, the stability uh, <laughs> of leather's on. They and really helped. And move, and I landed right where, where I should be with no, no stirrups <laughs> flying around. And a little bit over the neck, but both yep. feet still in the stirrups. Yep, so you're I, good. I gonna, also gonna use credit, Can you credit the, the stirrup leathers for, for helping me ride better every day? Right, right. I know they, they really do. They're fantastic stirrups, for sure. And yeah, it's true. So if you want to have more information, just touch base with Justin at totalsaddlefit.com. He is fantastic. Great website, great customer service. And we really honestly, <laughs> these stirrup leathers save our lives every day. And we really, really appreciate them. So, but we have a great tip from Meg Williams. She's a breeder and FEI rider and trainer and, and a fan of the show. And we're excited to, to share her tip with you. This week's dressage training tip is brought to you by Total Saddle Fit, home of the shoulder relief girth at totalsaddlefit.com. Well, tonight I am so excited to have Meg Williams. She is a, she's the extraordinaire. She owns Oakwood Farms and she is a Hanoverian Society breed judge and head trainer and owner. Uh, Meg, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Well, I'm not going to lie. We, we were here training. You were here at my farm yesterday training with Scott Hassler, and I snagged you. I'm so excited to have you on the show uh, because we, we don't, like we talked about last, yesterday, we don't give breeders enough love on this show. And without breeders and wonderful horses coming up, we aren't going to get anywhere. So tell us, Meg, a little bit about your farm, and then we're going to talk about stallion testing, which I think is really cool. And I don't think we've ever covered on this show. So I'll let you get started. Okay, so I have been breeding Hanoverians for 33 years now. I got involved with the Hanoverians, a good friend of mine. I was at actually Kentucky Horse Park at the KDA show back in 1986, and I was watching some Hanoverian stallions go and just fell in love. And there was a big breeder there and became friends with them. And so that's a little bit how I got into breeding. So I've been breeding for a long time, have stood several different stallions. The stallion I currently have is uh, Bidmark. I bought him as a three-year-old. He is 21 now. And so I have competed, trained, and competed him all the way up through the Grand Prix level. So my focus is definitely starting a lot of young horses, young uh, Hanoverians, warm bloods, and then competing them up through the levels. So it's a little bit my background. I have usually somewhere between seven and 15 foals a year. Um, so, you know, been in this for quite a long time. <laughs> that's, a, that's a fair number, number yeah. of foals and a fair fair <laughs> amount of stress, especially around this time of year. And <laughs> it, it, it definitely is busy, no doubt. But I just love it. Like, I keep saying to myself, I need to do, you know, one or the other, either breed or ride or you know, just judge. But um, I think it's the breeding is so intertwined in the riding in the sport industry. For me, it's hard to separate. So for now, I'll keep doing it all. Absolutely. I love it. So our topic tonight, because we could we could keep you on the line for hours, but we wanted to talk a little bit about stallion testing in the U.S. Can you kind of get us started with that? Yep. So the stallion testing here in the U.S. started many years ago. Um, some of the first ones were actually a 100-day test at November Hill Farm and also out in California. The testing then became down to 70-day test, and it was then like 
if you remember down at Paxton Farm and it's been in Oklahoma. So it, it changed to, you know, different locations. But now the stallion testing is a different format and we model it after what's going on in Europe. And in, they've taken it out of the hands of the different breed organization. And the FN now runs the stallion testing. And we started the testing. Um, this will actually be the third one this year. And it's called the North American Stallion Testing. And it's a three-day sport test. So they're really trying to get these stallions uh, into the sport mode. And during the three days, the first day they um, obviously come in, they go through a vet check. And, you know, they watch them go on sound on hard ground. And there's also a training session, kind of like a warm up. And on the second day, you they're actually ridden. And this is all done by their own rider. So they have to come in very prepared. And they can either go as a four, five or a six year old. And for the dressage horses, the four year olds have to do the four year old FEI test. The five-year-olds, the five-year-old FEI test, and the six-year-olds, the six-year-old FEI test. And in the jumpers, so it's divided, both dressage and jumping. And in the jumpers, the four-year-olds have to jump a meter. The five-year-olds is a meter 10, and the six-year-olds is a meter 20. And so what happens is they come with their own rider, and they are ridden, and they are observed by a judging panel. And the judging panel all comes from Germany, and their FN uh, judges over there. So the same judges that we have in this country are the same judges. <coughs> excuse me, that they also have in Germany. And we're doing this so you know everything is above the board. Same what goes on in Europe is the same that goes on here, and therefore um, on the third day, the last day, the stallions are actually ridden by um, a guest rider. And for the last um, couple of years, for the dressage guest rider is Jessica Wisdom, which I think probably Reese, you know. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um, from, yeah, uh, I mean, she's, she's from a, Oregon, I think. Yep. Oregon? Yeah. Um, she's a super rider. She's, she's a guest rider. And the jumper rider comes from uh, Canada. No, I just forgot her name. Uh, Offmeyer. Uh, who works up at uh, Bruce, um, Spruce Bruce Meadows. Meadows. Yeah. Cool. Uh-huh. Up there. Fantastic. Yeah. So, you got your Canada yeah. love there. That's, yeah, that's I got your I love like. in yeah, there. <laughs> so tell us right. a little and bit both? about the, the scoring system and how the Stallions okay. are scored and, and what, what yep. the different levels of achievement are. Yep. So a, a passing, quote-unquote, passing score is an overall score of 7.5 or higher. And it's a combination of the two days. So the first day is just an observation, kind of a training. They let the stallions get used to the ring and the riders and on and on. Uh, On their second ride under their own riders, they have a panel of experts, they call it, which is a judging panel. And they actually try to help the riders to the best of their ability to see what they want out of these horses. So if they come in, I'll just say overpaced, overtempoed, you know, they'll say to them, hey, slow it down a little bit. It's a little too quick. You know, we can't really see the movement. So the horses then are judged on obviously their gait, walk, trot, canter, and they are they also have a rideability score 
and um, like a character score. And then in jumping, they're obviously their gates, and then they are obviously then their jumping score also. So that sorry, so, jumping technique. What you know? What about uh-huh. jumping goes into that score? Uh huh. So it, it's um, their attitude towards their jumping, and it's their jumping technique. It's their jumping scope. You know how they approach the fence. You know how quick off the ground they are. You know they're looking at these stallions to be you know the best that you know that they can be. Sorry, I, yeah, I have lots of questions about this. I know. Keep going, Phil. So interesting. Yeah. yeah sorry. <laughs> Confirmation, where does that come into the scoring? Are they prejudged for commenta- uh, confirmation yes. so, earlier in their life yes. at a different? Yes. Or, mm-hmm. or so, at this as well? Normally. No, not, not at this point. So normally the stallions come in already licensed, meaning they have been through their organization, which is either like the Oldenburg or the Holsteiner or the Hanoverian. So they have done their licensing already. And for their licensing, that's where their confirmation is judged. Um, for the Hanoverians, they are written under saddle in their licensing, and they are also free jump there also. Now, I believe with the Oldenburgs, um, for the dressage horses, they're actually taking the free jumping out of that section, which personally I'm against. Um, I think that, you know, I don't think we should make these horses so dressage oriented that we lose the jump because we want to keep, you know, good canners right. and jumping. Too, too specialized. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make all round That's horses right. all the time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. That makes sense. <clears throat> exactly. Mm-hmm. So they come in already licensed from their breed registry. So, so this well, has been, yeah. go ahead. I don't mean to jump in all the time, but uh, no, no, please he, do. He's license he's mean so that they're, they're allowed to breed and, and that they can produce mm-hmm. offspring? So for the Hanoverians, because that's the one, the one that I can yeah. Um, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, you know, no, talk about. Good. Those are the rules that I know. Right. So for the Hanoverians, they, um, after they are licensed, they can breed um, for two years, so but it's a minimal amount. They can only breed 20 mares a year. Now, after they go through the sport test, so part of the sport test is you have to do two years consecutively. So you can do it as a four and a five-year-old or a five and a six-year-old. So after they go through and do it as, we'll just say a four-year-old, then they can breed as many mares as they want. And after, and if they sc- if they score seven point five or higher, and um, after they come back and they come back as a five year old and they score seven point five or higher, then they have their lifetime breeding. And at any point, are the foals judged? You know, like a foal crop to be able to keep their license or not? Or does that is that looked at? at, at not any- in this test. Yeah. So okay. not in this test. But as um, judges, when we go out and we are looking at foals and, um, you know, looking at the offsprings, especially the younger, um, stallions that we haven't seen many offsprings. Um, so that's when those foals are judged then. Okay. But it's not, yeah, it's not at this testing. It's just at our regular Hanoverian inspections. And does the Hanoverian give, uh, premium statuses or at different levels at different Score, score points, so or we, is it just license, so not license? We, um, so for the Hanoverian, 
you're either licensed or not licensed. Mm -hmm. So for the in hand part, the licensing part, um, a Hanoverian has to score a seven or higher in their licensing. Fantastic. And how much (laughs) input does the guest rider have? You know, I think we all kind of, okay. Yeah. Cause you know, riders, they see a lot. They really do that. And also, um, You know, some of the horses that come in with their riders, they have super riders on, they're really prepared, Mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're doing really, you know, a super job, you know, like last year, um, we had Emily Wagner bring in two young horses. One of the horse had just won the four-year-old test up at Lamplight. Now, of course, those were really super prepared. And so when Jessica got on, you could still see a difference, but those were already super but sure. we've had some stallions come in that weren't prepared as well. And therefore the judges say to Jessica, look, you know, we need to see this, this, this. Can you try to get this, this out of, you know, the stallion? And Jessica, you know, then tries. And then when she gets off, you know, she makes her comments like, hey, you know, this horse felt great. You know, you know, it could have been a little bit in front of my leg. But, you know, as soon as I popped it, it went forward. It stayed there. So they're, again, they're really looking for the rideability of the stallion. So the, the guest rider has a huge input into it. Oh, that's fantastic. And what about x-rays? How are they, are they picky about x-rays or how does that work? Absolutely. Yep. So that is in the licensing that, so again, in the stallion test itself, that's all been done previously. So for the Hanoverian Society, all of the, all the stallions that are going to licensing all of them have to go to the x-rays go to Rudin Riddle and there's a panel of I think three or five vets that look at the x-rays there. I love it. Yeah. And then yeah, yeah, yeah. the babies of, of the 20 babies that they have, are those babies mm-hmm. reviewed or how does that work? Like, you know, they yeah, get to bring well, 20. When they come to the inspection, absolutely. Mm-hmm. When the, when the um, bulls come to inspection, yes, we do look at those. We talk about them. Um, you know, we always talk about, hey, you know, this is a really positive, you know, this is really super on this fall. And then, you know, if we see something that maybe could be improved or, you know, we try to talk about that. Also, when we go out on regular inspection tours, we always try to make it very educational for people and really educate and talk about, you know, the mares and the foals and the breeding or, you know, this is a great combination or, you know, this is okay, but, you know, maybe, you know, you want to, you know, try these lines, you know, we never suggest just one stallion, it's more lines, you know, maybe you could try this or, you know, whatever. And when we see the mares in front of us, you know, then we can see what comes from the mare with the stallion put on, um, you know, on and on, because when you breed, you breed for generations, you're always trying to, to improve every generation. That makes sense. Maybe as a, if I were a mare owner and I'm looking to breed my mare, like where is this information available? Avail- like what information is available uh, online or by request to the society perhaps? And, so and how would someone access yep. it? Yep. So you can go to the North American Sports Stallion Test website. And on that website, they um, list the results of each stallion and the score that it got in each category. So, you know, for the new young stallions that are going through, you know, they have, um, you can go there. You can also go, um, the Hanoverian Society 
puts out a yearbook of all the stallion, all the Hanoverian stallions in this country with their pedigree and their scores and, you know, a little description of what they've done on and on. And then also the German Bourbon, the German Hanoverian Bourbon every year puts out a stallion yearbook that has, you know, really over a hundred stallions in it. And it also gives you a list of the top stallions in um in their country both in sport and breeding and they also give an index of what each stallion um like their head their neck you know walk shot canner what their score is yeah so that's um also a really good um you know source of information and i know that the oldenburg society also does the same thing and they've also started doing linear scoring for um, the stallions and the mares, so yes. that gives you even more. And that's yeah, really interesting. Yeah, because yeah, I, I was actually at the Oldenburg Society in Germany last week, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, right? they have a book um, that they put out. It's, really, it's all in German. I, well, I think they've mm-hmm. sold out of the American one, uh, but the one I have is in German, and I found it fascinating. This Because um, you could look. Yeah, it's really cool because it's all down, and they think they're pretty statistically oriented um because mm-hmm. i happened to be with an equine economist she was really fascinated so we really sat down and looked at some of the the read but it's it doesn't score the sign that they're good or bad it just tells you correct you know, certain right. traits and what certain criteria positive. you got yeah. it you got it right i mean there's you, you know they all have strong points and they all have weak mm-hmm. points so yeah. in breeding you just try to make your educated decision, you know, and, you know, if your mare is weak in one area, try not to pick a stallion, you know, that's weak in that area. Or, you know, there's certain lines that are just good niches, you know, that you want to yeah. kind of stay like the R line, Rubenstein line, but then R line and the D line cross very well. It's a known niche, you know, some people right. go for that also. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. And I, yeah, I, think, I think we're kind of looking at it statistically. Yeah. yeah, what what's mm-hmm. really interesting is the knowledge of the old breeders or or of the people who've been doing it for 100%. you know not not just Those one that, generation, two and three generations no, of families but, breeding horses in Germany. I mean, you have to take advantage of these resources. And you know absolutely. what's amazing about breeders is they will never stop talking. Just send an no. email or, <laughs> or or make a phone call, and you can gain so much That's rather that. than just. You're sitting yeah. at home and saying, okay, I got this beautiful mare. I bought her from auction in Germany. I imported this mare. I was just beautiful. Oh, I like that stallion. That, that stallion's really beautiful. Okay, maybe you're going to get a good cross. But with the information of people from hundreds of years of breeding, they, you can they get know a their better mare idea yeah. and have a better mm-hmm. chance of bringing a good horse, not just mm-hmm. pretty horse X and it's plus generation horse Y is going to make yeah. you know, pretty horse yep. Z, right? Like there's temperament and the the way 100%. it's not just a, a good yeah. moving horse but the way a horse moves and i've learned so much by going to hanoverian and oldenburg like the, the warm blood inspections because right. people love to talk about their horses mm-hmm. and they, they love to mm-hmm. talk about just looking at a horse in, in the ring and and you, like i think that's so great and so you know like all the societies are so welcoming of new people who want to learn and and want to develop their knowledge of breeding that you just have to reach out of your bubble a little bit. You got it. Yeah. You got it. It it doesn't matter what society, it doesn't matter what horse you're breeding. You know, we're all in it together. Um, You know, we're all trying to 
always gain more knowledge. And, you know, breeders know their mare lines. They know what they've produced. Like I'm on my fifth, actually fourth generation of breeding. So, you know, you just know, you know, what they produce and, you know, you try to match the best you can. And sometimes it works. And sometimes you're like, oh, you know, that didn't work so well. But you really (laughs) have to think of breeding in generations. It's not something quick that happens. Mm It is. It's, and it's a hard business. But um, yeah. like you said, you can really now start to get some really good information from breeders like yourself and from the the societies themselves as well, even in Germany, because I Absolutely. was literally just there. They, there are representatives at each of the or pretty much all of the societies that they speak English and they are representatives for mm-hmm. North America. So you can really pick their brains and they love it. That's what they do and it's, it's a passion to breed to breed horses mm-hmm. i think it is it's not, it's not it is. really a business it's a passion and and, and you can you know <laughs> well, talking to breeders you can really feel that it. passion <laughs> yeah yeah you have to make a little it is money true. But, yeah. but you yeah. don't do it for the dollar you'll you'd yeah. never make it right yeah, exactly you do it yeah. because that's your love and that is your passion absolutely Oh, fantastic. Well, Meg, we are going to have to bring you back on uh, on another segment okay. and talk about the mares because we gave some stallions okay. some love today, but we'll have to do yep. another segment with the mares. But if our listeners Perfect. have some questions for you about breeding or anything, how can they find you online? You can go to my email address. It's oakwoodfarms at yahoo.com or I have a website, oakwoodhanoverian.com. Fantastic. Well, thanks, Meg. And good luck with all those babies coming. Send me pictures. (laughs) Thank you. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Well, as always, we love email and Facebook shout-outs. Keep them coming. We actually have a few tips in the queue, and and we will get to them in the next few weeks. We look forward to that. And as always, you can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our website, dressageradio.com. Like us on Facebook, just search Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com, and you can always reach me by my email, which is reese at horseradionetwork.com. I think the best way to find me is probably through Facebook, or my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors for allowing us to put on a show, and don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Everybody, keep your heels down and your shoulders back, and we will talk to you next week. 